Support for Recovery Talks, the podcast, and rockandrecovery.com provided by Ohio Means Jobs, Summit in Medina Counties, recognizing that looking for a job can be tough, especially if you're also navigating a path to recovery. Ohio Means Jobs, Summit in Medina Counties offer career coaching, support services, and training for in-demand careers. For more information, summitmedinaomj.org. We know that mental health is shaped by many factors, from our genes and brain chemistry to our relationships with family and friends, neighborhood conditions, and sometimes larger social forces. We also know that too often young people are bombarded with messages that through the media and popular culture erode a sense of self-worth, telling these kids that they're not good looking enough, they're not popular, they're not smart or they're not rich. Our next guest is a middle school guidance counselor. He has over 300 kids that he's ultimately responsible for. He's going to tell us what it's like to be of that age at this time. That's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery. This is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks right now. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. And we are certainly in for a treat here today. Our next guest is a middle school counselor. He's been doing it for nine years, and he's got the same last name as your host. <laughs> Everybody, please welcome James Shannon. How are you doing, Jim? Doing great, Mark. How are you? Thank you, man. And thank you for appearing on Recovery Talks, the podcast. I kind of put you on the spot, man, because um, for full disclosure for our guests, uh, yes, in fact, we are we are related. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately for him, you know, he, he has to accept that and admit it and, you know, go public with it. But, uh, you know, really we're here about a topic that I think is, is really important to a lot of our listeners, especially people that may be parents with kids in school. And that is what is going on today and what are you seeing as a middle school counselor uh, when it comes to, you know, substance use disorder and also mental health issues? And we talked a little bit off off frame as we got started here about the frequency of each. And you were telling me, what is the age group of P- of the kids that you, you typically see? At the middle school, I have sixth through eighth graders. So we're 11 years to 14 and maybe, you know, a handful of 15 year olds in there as well. Did you say that primarily when it comes to the two things that are covered in this podcast, because, you know, I mean, this podcast has to do everything with, you know, addiction, mental health issues, trauma, mental health, physical disabilities, all kinds of, of, of different things that people can claim that they're in long-term recovery from. But would you say with your age group that it's primarily what you see and deal with most is kids with mental health issues as overt substance use disorder? Is that what you say probably would be more common? Yeah, I would say, you know, students that um, exhibit signs of anxiety mm-hmm. and, you know, symptoms of depression would be our two two biggest culprits there. And, and, you know, we do have some substance issues, but I think, you know, a lot of those are probably stemming from those core issues of anxiety and depression. So I went online to uh, um, look up a little bit to see what the, our Surgeon General is talking about. And I'm going to quote a little bit from an introduction from his report on protecting youth mental health. This is a report that was released in 2021. uh, And it was on basically a a U.S. Surgeon General advisory, which means that, you know, this is important. Uh, I'm putting this out because I think there's enough of a topic. So he says, and I'm quoting, every child's path to adulthood, reaching developmental and emotional milestones, learning healthy social skills, 
and dealing with problems is different and difficult. Many face added challenges along the way, often based beyond their control. There's no roadmap, and it's a road that's never straight. Also, this introduction goes on to say that recent national surveys of young people have shown alarming increases in the prevalence of certain mental health challenges. In 2019, which is before the pandemic, one in three students, one in three, and half of the female students reported persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness, which is an overall increase of 40% from 2009. And he says that we know that mental health is shaped by many factors from our genes and our brain chemistry to our relationships with families and friends, neighborhood conditions, larger social forces, and policies. We also know that too often young people are bombarded with messages through the media and popular culture that erode their sense of self-worth. These messages tell them that they are not good looking enough, popular enough, smart enough, and rich enough. Just curious to see what your thoughts are with that statement from the Surgeon General. Is that what you encounter also? Also, uh, Yeah. I mean, think about before the pandemic and that statistic of one in three and then 50% of our female kiddos are experiencing some of these. And I would, I would guess, Mark, that in the two years since that pandemic, that number has probably gone up. The frequency of students that I have seen you know, in my office since we've been back you know, as a regular every day has, has definitely shot up. Mental health challenges can be really kind of difficult to define. You know? And all of us, everyone at all ages... We occasionally experience fear, worry, sadness, distress. Um, you know, most of the time this doesn't last very long, you know, but sometimes it does. So, by the way, how many kids typically do you classify as, as under your supervision? How many, how many kids would you say? So we have just under 600 kids at the middle school and there's two counselors, myself and Miss Laura Wheeland. So we, we split that by alphabet. So we each have close to 300 kids that we're seeing. How can that possibly be enough counselors to handle those, those issues? I mean, but, but, but again, I understand resources and that's really not what we're here to talk about. But I guess what I do want to know is of, of those 300 kids that you have under your area of responsibility, how do you know? What do you look for? I mean, there's got to be an innate, you've been doing this for nine years now. And, and there's got to be an innate sense of being around kids and knowing, wait a minute, something's not right there. Tell me a little bit about how you, how you recognize kids are in trouble. I mean, there's a multitude of ways that you know, kids, kids hit the radar. And it can be from teacher recommendations, parents calling in, friends of students. That's an important one is, is having friends of students speak up for them. Um, and reach out. But it can be as simple as, you know, I do bus duty in the morning and it can be just a kid's look when they're walking off the bus, man. You can just see it in the eyes. Something's something's not right there. And, you know, just trying to check in with them and give them, you know, that opportunity to say, hey, something's not going right here. I'm not feeling great. The more opportunities they have, whether it be with a counselor or a trusted teacher or a parent, to be able to discuss those things, I think is, is very important. Well, what are some of the factors, right, that, that shape the mental health of some of the young people that you deal with? I mean, you must see 
a wide range of backgrounds, cultures, personality types. I mean, what are some of the factors that you see are consistent that that you go, okay, I, I see this here? Yeah, that's a great question. And just like in the you know the Surgeon General, you know, there's all kinds of different things. Family dynamics plays a huge role in that. Over my nine years, the number of students that that I see or work with that um, may be living with a family member that is not biological mom or dad, whether it be grandparent or aunt and uncle, it is a huge factor. Substance abuse may be in the home. There's so many different things that can play into it. You know, and th- that's the really hard part, Mark, that I feel is with anxiety, with depression, you know, like you said, a lot of us go through it sometimes and it might be a short stint. And there are some very obvious situations sometimes, a breakup or a parent going through divorce or your dog dies. And then there's those really hard ones where, you know, you have a student who comes from where their parents are still together. They have a great job, a great house. They have a lot of friends. And there's nothing that they can pinpoint why they're feeling sad or down or anxious, but they know that feeling is there. And those are the really hard ones to pinpoint, to get on the radar, you know, sometimes. In some of the research I did, it was was describing that mental health conditions can be shaped by a number of biological factors, right? Including genes, brain chemistry, and, you know, the things you were talking about with environmental factors, which are life experiences, right? What are the, what is the, and I like to use this analogy when I talk about, um, you know, various people that, that I encounter in the recovery community, talk about the garden that they grew up in, right? Sometimes they don't get the good soil. Sometimes they don't get fertilized. Sometimes they plant it too close to other plants. Sometimes there's no sunshine. Now I'll make it analogies, but I think we can all understand that when it comes to kids and they're growing up, I mean, it really it really is very much a garden that kids grow up in. And, you know, social and economic inequalities, right? Discrimination, sometimes racism. And then you put on top of that media and technology, popular culture, you know, and some of the, and I'll say it, some of the government policies that we deal with. Certain kids don't get the help they need. And so, you know, they're left to go to school (laughs) <laughs> and next thing you know, they're in your office. And what are some of the, the tools and techniques that you use? And this is something that I was wanting to ask you for sure. If you see a kid that's in trouble and they're not talking up, or they're not speaking up, what are some of the tools and techniques that you use as a middle school counselor to try and bring them out a little bit? What are the things you do? I think the number one thing is relationship building. And just building that trusting relationship. When I have kids come down, you know, that that first time that I meet with them, I don't usually expect them to, you know, spill spill a bunch of dark secrets or anything like that. It's more just me, you know, kind of introducing myself and saying, hey, I want to be open and honest with you, first and foremost. And, you know, asking them to do the same. And then I just let them know, like, hey, we're going to have a conversation. And if there's things you don't want to answer, you just say, Mr. Shannon, I don't feel like answering that. And, and I'm okay with it. Over time, a lot of those kids will end up saying, hey, that's somebody I can trust. That's somebody that I can talk to. And I think the other more you know important aspect to, to this is to an adult, some of these problems that these kids are facing and going through might not seem like a huge deal to us. And I just try my best 
to not be judgmental and to just validate their feelings. Because as people, there's things we control, there's things we can't control. And feelings are something that we can't control. We're going to get mad at people. We're going to get angry. We're going to fall in love. You know, We're going to laugh and, and find things funny. We might not be able to control those emotions, but we can control our actions you know, to those emotions. So I, I, just, I just shake my head and say, hey, I might not know how you're feeling, but I can understand what you're going through. And I feel like a lot of times when you validate those students or those kids' feelings, that, that tends to open up that relationship where they're like, hey, maybe this is somebody I can talk to. got an outlet there. Some of the, the the more difficult I would imagine for you to deal with are the youth with the, the kids with uh, intellectual or developmental disabilities. You know, they, they may find it more difficult to manage, you know, simple disruptions to school or, you know, services such as counseling, you know, or, or, or some sort of therapy or maybe losing their free lunch for whatever reason. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I can only imagine that the things that come across your desk, but let's let's flip the switch just a little bit. Coming from the place of a parent that's concerned, because your kid, especially as they get into the latter grades that you deal with, seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, you know, there's a lot of changes going on dynamically, culturally, physically, all kinds of things are happening. And I just can get a sense with with my own three boys, there seemed to be a difference in the communication at that point. All of a sudden, you know, I used to joke about it, but all of a sudden, you know, I used to say, oh, those kids are turning into aliens. But in in response to that, they, they probably thought the same thing about me. All the stuff they thought was cool about dad stopped being cool about dad. So there was a shift and a change. So, so how do you, you know, identify if I'm a parent and I have a sense that something's going on at school because my kid won't talk to me about it. They come home from school, they seem different, there's something happening there. What are the tools and techniques? Because I've shifted a little bit to talk about from the parent's side. What can parents do when it comes to this type of work? Can they get involved with you? I mean, what, what happens there? I have conversations with parents you know, every day. And I think just recognizing some of you know, the warning signs and being able to have an open and honest conversation, you know, again, coming down to that honesty and and not being judgmental. Mark, when I have kids come down and they talk about some of the issues, you know, if they're really struggling, let's say maybe there's some self-harm there or suicidal thoughts. I always like to ask kids because I feel like as people, we we have a lot of, or what I have noticed is we have a lot of similar behaviors as people. And the two responses that I get, you know, from from kids are, you know, and I and I hate the expression, but it's it's what's used over and over. My parents are going to kill me if they find out. Please don't call home. My parents are going to kill me. Or, you know, they feel like their reasons, again, well, I shouldn't really be, you know, upset about this, and it's not that big of a deal. And I've been told like I had it way rougher than you as a kid. So I think again, it comes down to that validating, you know those kids' feelings. And some of the warning signs might be, you know, a decline in school performance or a loss of interest in, you know, maybe they play an instrument and they no longer want to or a sport. Maybe they're sleeping too much or too little. Changes in their weight or their appetite and nervousness and agitation and irritability. 
But back to what you said, this is also a really hard you know, time for kids going through puberty and all the changes that they go through. And it's, it's a weird age, right? So they may be exhibiting some of these symptoms or these things, and that's just the age they're at. So I would say to parents, you know, if you're seeing two or three or definitely three or four of these, it never hurts to have a conversation. So how would you tell parents to start that conversation? Obviously, you've got some skill because you see a lot of kids walk in your office. I mean, all day long, James, they come in and they say, you know, Mr. Shannon, this, this, this. How do you start a conversation with your kids about, man, is there something going on in school? What's going on? Talk to me. And it depends on the situation. And But I always try to just, I just try to be as non-reactive as I possibly can. Never act surprised and let them know, like, especially in my office, like, you're not in trouble, no matter what we talk about. You know, I always ask, and this is the phrase I use, I want to have a hard conversation with you. Is Mm -hmm. that okay? Right. And let them know it's going to be hard. Like, these are tough things to talk about. And I want you to know that up front. Don't ask a yes or no question. Ask some open-ended questions. Maybe start off with like at dinner or whatever. Hey, let's play high and low. What was the high point of your day today? Or what was the low point of your day? If you feel like they're you know, struggling, ask them what the low point of their day was and say, tell me about that. Walk me through what happened. You know, And if it happens to be they're upset with a teacher or upset with another student or something that happened at lunch, you can you know, ask, how did you respond to that? Walk me through it. That's that's so great. That's so great. One of the things I found in my research for this interview was to, to that uh, some psychologists, child psychologists, say, you know, have a safe phrase, right? For instance, when I say to you, you know, hey, put your armor on, but let's talk about something. You know, you have a social uh, or a, a behavioral contract agreement phrase with them to say, when we say this, we're going to be able to talk. Or you can always say, and this is one I use with my kids. I always said to them. If you're ever in trouble, <laughs> I promise you, dad will put his dukes down. You know what I mean? If you say to me, dad, I need to talk. Believe it or not, on occasions, they would actually use that. I didn't like what they said after Because <laughs> usually it meant, you know, I'm out of state, I'm in trouble or whatever. You know, and I'm making light of it. But, and I don't mean to joke about this because it's, it's a very serious topic. But I think that that's a really good tool to use to be able to say, look, we have to have an, an agreement that when I say this, I'm free to talk to you. I'm free to talk to you and you're not going to beat me up. So what, you know, moving on there, we're going to take a break just real quickly. You know, um, what can the schools do? I mean, I would imagine, oh my goodness, I don't even want to get into this topic. I'm afraid to ask this question, but I guess there's protocol and rules for the school, rules of so-called engagement that you have to follow as far as you know, I know that as a certified peer recovery uh, support in the state of Ohio, I'm mandated to report certain things. You know, you've got to also be able to say, look, um, I'm sorry, but I have to tell somebody about this. You know, what's that dynamic like? You know, I, again, I just approach it, um, you know, with total honesty and let them know like, hey, you know, and, and before I talk with kids, I, I have that talk about confidentiality and lay the groundwork of if I hear certain things, I am a mandated reporter. You know, if you're going to harm yourself or somebody else, or somebody else is going to harm you, um, along those lines, and lay that groundwork with the kids that I talk to, just so they're so I'm upfront with them. And if it does, you know, the conversation takes a turn where I am worried about you know a student's safety and do an assessment. 
um, or if there's self-injury involved, then I always, I always let that kid be part of that and say, hey, I am going to have to call home. Let's look at what that looks like. Here are your options. I can you know, call home on my own. I can have you be in the room and have a conversation you know, with, with your mom or dad or guardian, whoever it is. And then I always say, who do you feel most comfortable with me calling? And, you know, so uh, most, you know, the majority of the time, the student wants me to make that call without them being in the room. And then I always do a follow up, you know, with with the student the next day. (laughs) For some reason, it seems like 75% of that, that just off the top of my head happens on a Friday, you know, so you have that long weekend where you're you're thinking about it. um, And then do that check in, you know, the very next day with them. And, you know, again, it comes down to, I feel like those kids are so afraid of that conversation, but nine and a half times out of ten, when once I check in with them, you know, the next day, there it's it's like a weight's been lifted off their shoulders, and it it was an opportunity for them to let their parents or their guardians know what they're going through and what they're struggling with because it is hard. It's hard to say I need help, man. Man, we've been talking with James Shannon, who is a middle school counselor, and we're talking about mental health issues with his students. We're going to be right back after a short break to talk a little bit about what young people can do. We'll be right back. The internet can be challenging to navigate, especially when it comes to podcasts. It can be a cacophony of noise, choices, and information. Some of that information can be legitimate and trustworthy, and some of it can be questionable or even downright synthetic. Who or what can be trusted? And the sheer amount of platforms, where in the world do I go to listen and to absorb information? For the person in recovery, sometimes getting the right advice or help can be the difference between shivering in darkness and stepping out into the light. Recoverytalks.org is a repository, an easy-to-find place where past episodes of Recovery Talks the podcast can be found. All of Mark's in-depth conversations, all the way back to season one, can be found here. Recoverytalks.org. Simple. Easy. Help. Okay, and we're back now to Recovery Talks, the podcast. We're with James Shannon, who's a middle school counselor who has been doing that gig for nine years. And man, I have such enormous respect for you. So let's talk a little bit about the kids, okay? In their head, most of the time. It's been a while, but I can certainly remember that that dynamic of the the some of the competition that I faced, some of the you know the relationships that were beginning to be very complex, friendships wanting to be acknowledged, self esteem issues that were going on in that age group are so so difficult to deal with. And now they've got the advent of social media, which is beating down on them. You know what they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to look at, who is cool, who is not cool. How many likes were that were my Instagram posts last night? Nobody liked my Instagram post. All of this stuff is is really really difficult. So, what are the things can young people do? You know, when they find themselves in a position where they're thinking, "Man, I'm I'm just not snapping out of this. It's not working for me." What what can they do in your opinion? Yeah, there's so much co- coming at them these days, and that social media, you know, aspect I think has really changed the dynamic. Especially, you know, uh, going back to that Surgeon General's remarks again, um, and those statistics: fifty uh, percent of our female, you know, adolescents at some point struggle with mental health, and I think that there's a huge correlation there. And there's no there's no manual right that tells us what to do. That's why I tell the kids every day: there's no manual telling us what to do in these certain situations. 
product. But there's some really you know, simple things that I think can be very beneficial. And sometimes I think they get overlooked. And you know, it comes down to sleeping. You know, we got to take care of our bodies. Nutrition, um, being on a set routine, so some strategies that can work when we're feeling stressed out. Again, I think you know, kids look at me like I'm an alien when I say this, but like simple breathing techniques, you know, four, seven, eight, just things that you can counting backwards from ten and then back to ten in your head, and just focusing on your breathing can really settle settle you down. Doing a meditation in the morning, finding something that works for you, healthy ways to relieve stress. And that's got to be something that interests you as an individual, whether it be going for a walk or a hike or journaling, getting those feelings out, um, exercising. You know, That's another one that goes with that sleep and that nutrition and taking care of our bodies and you know, us as a whole, as a whole person, mind, body, and spirit. And you know, it, I think a lot of us take some of those things for granted, like, oh, the kids are doing these things. But when I talk to kids and say, hey, what time did you go to bed last night? You know, and they say, oh, I went to bed at nine o'clock. And I'm like, but you just read me that text message that was at 2.13 in the morning. You know, so you're not going to bed at nine o'clock. And maybe that's why you're so agitated this <laughs> yeah. morning. You know, so yeah. I think just getting down right. to some of those basics, you know, is really important. Yeah, sleep is so important. So in this report, also some of the, the, the final comments that I thought were really good that I was reading through. It's a 53-page report, by the way, and it's online that any parent can read. And I highly suggest it. But they talk about, you know, what young people can do. And, you know, um, they list some of the steps that young people can you know, themselves take to protect, improve, and advocate for their mental health and also that of their family, friends, and neighbors. And some of the key points real quickly are remembering that mental health challenges are real, common, and treatable. You know, I think that all of us, all the time, when we're feeling like a little whacked, we forget we're not the only people that feel that way, that it's a really common experience, you know, and asking for help. I think that, and you know, you know my story very well about it being a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorder. This one was the one for me. Asking for help. That was the, the game changer for me. Investing in healthy relationships. You know what? That kid that isn't nice to you, that's unhappy about everything in life, maybe just, you know, find somebody else. When you see them coming, go the other way, you know. Practicing techniques to manage stress and other difficult emotions. You mentioned some of the really great ones. Getting some sleep, man. Decent food, right? You know, breathing exercises. Finding something that you can do that can invest in your physical that helps the mental health. And, you know, one of the ones that I thought that was interesting, the final one in this report that I thought was really great is finding ways to serve. It mentions that finding volunteering in your community and helping others can be a great way to connect with people build a sense of purpose, and develop your own self-worth. We know that when we help each other, when we help each other, we help ourselves. There's an overwhelming feeling of self-worth when you do something cool or nice for somebody else. You know, And that leads me to the final comment I want to make today podcast. Dude, do you have any idea of the impact you make by the job that you do? I think there's probably, if there's you know a lot of parents listening to this podcast, which they can find, by the way, at recoverytalks.org, Okay. Um, I just think that what you're doing, you know, being able to be responsible for 300 kids, man, you know, I, I don't know how you come home at night and, and, and being able to divest yourself of all that emotional 
emotional weight. So I'm going to ask you one final question is what are your go-to get you through things that you do when you come home? So you're not sitting up, you know, just thinking about these kids and how you can help them. Because I can imagine that that, that after a while has to build up on you. Tell, tell our listeners what are some of the things you you do. Yeah, I've definitely definitely lost some sleep over over the last few years, you know, and especially recently with uh, you know everything that we've been through. It seems like tensions are high, um, but leaning on family, man, and and you know being able to talk about it, and I think that's important for for all of us. It took me a long, long time to you know I was one of those guys who kind of kept everything bottled up and you know those are my problems I don't need to burden other people and you know in the last few years just finding people that I can trust and I can go to and I can say hey man I went through this today or this is going on right now and you know supportive family my parents my wife especially um, and then you know I found myself uh, I got a rowing machine a, a couple years ago Finally started getting, you know, a little bit more consistent on it and just getting that that exercise and taking care, taking care of, you know, myself is huge. Well, listen to me. On behalf of all our listeners, I just want to say a, a sincere thank you for for being willing to be on this podcast and for sharing your story because it's really enlightening to see that, you know, there are people like you who hold responsibility all day long is to take care of our kids. So uh, on behalf of them, I want to give you a wholehearted thanks. So to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of Recovery Talks, the podcast. If you like it, please uh, follow me at recoverytalks.org. You can, you know, I think we've got, we're in season four now and we've got well over 40 episodes going up. If you dig it, share it with your friends. We appreciate that. And until the next episode, please, everybody, just let's stay connected, stay standing and steady on.